when you take an Uber, you don't care about how the engine works or how many cylinders it has. The average consumer does not. And I think Steve Jobs did a really good job of building a company dedicated to that. And I think our consumers are the same way. They don't care about the blockchain. They don't care about crypto. They don't care about Ethereum versus whatever other chain, Solana and all that stuff. What they care about is, is it safe? And does it help me get a loan more quickly so that I can go back to taking care of my kids and doing my job and having money in my pocket that I didn't have before? If we could solve those without having to educate them about the blockchain, awesome. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media. And today we are joined by Carl Jacobs, CEO and co-founder at LoanSnap. We've done a couple episodes over the years on NFTs and blockchain, but I'm confident this is the best and most informed episode we have done on the subject of how blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and NFTs are, are actually being used in the mortgage, mortgage ecosystem. Loans are being closed and they're being funded and LoanSnap is helping lead the charge in their own way. Really hope you enjoy this episode with Carl. I really enjoyed speaking with him. And if you enjoy this episode half as much as I did, please give us some love and rate the show. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We really appreciate you. Rocket Pro TPO is delivering more for partners with Cruise. It's a dedicated team of experts who help you navigate the mortgage process. You have direct access to underwriters, closing specialists, and purchase title coordinators working on your loans from start to finish. That means more accessibility, efficiency, certainty, and speed. Cruise is your team that knows your business. To learn more, visit rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states in MLS number 3030. We've been following LoanSnap for quite a while. I, I feel like uh, I got like one of like the coolest like visualizations I've seen of the of the housing ecosystem is Nima Westlake's like uh, market map. And I, I like actually like grabbed a Grab the copy of it. We have this like on the wall at Housing Wire and um love that like loan snaps like right at the right at the top of the the finance your home experience from from Tom Vest Ventures. So so tell us a little bit. I, I just saw Peter and the team yesterday, so that's that's pretty <laughs> fitting. <laughs> well, we'll tell them I um had about six of their like market maps blown up and they're like around our office in different places. It is like the the perfect visualization of like what we seek to do at HW Media is to cover the companies on the Tom Vest market map and 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 work with those players as as clients as well. So it's a uh, it's a pretty cool tool. Well, I I, I would uh, I'd love to make an intro because the the team that made that obviously we had a lot to to do with uh, input on that, particularly on the on the blockchain side. And uh, that was part of what yesterday was about, was kind of giving them an update on where we are. And, and in particular, they've spent so much time in the debt markets, in particularly on the marketplace side of things. They're super excited that we are building a marketplace for mortgages now, right? And it just it just wasn't possible before. There, were, there was a market, but there were discrete participants usually using email and spreadsheets to buy and, and sell loans, which, as we all know, was kind of the last piece to, to fall was the institutional takeouts. 
Absolutely. So tell us, tell us a little more about Lone Staff. I mean, we know, we know a little bit about your, your off chain roots and your, your on chain path, but would love to, to hear the ver- the story from you as a, uh, as CEO and, uh, and co-founder, correct? Correct. CEO and co-founder, uh, Alan Carroll is, uh, the other co-founder and, uh, the, the tech guru, he's the smart one, basically. I'm just the, <laughs> the CEO guy. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think if you look at Lone Snap, we started about five years ago, uh, and our goal was really to help people save money. And that sounds like an odd thing to do when you're trying to do mortgage. But what we saw was an industry that was really focused on profit at all costs and short term versus building a long term relationship with customers. And so now we're flash forward five years, we've originated billions of dollars of, of loans. We saved our customers $80 million last year and on our way to a billion, uh, which is our, our goal, our BHAG as they call it. And part of that is figuring out ways to do a better job for our, our customers. And one of those is obviously understanding their financial situation before they get a mortgage. That we've done. The other is really making this a painless and easy process. And, and as you know, we've closed loans in 24 hours, lots of loans in, in 24 hours or, or less. And when we got finished with that process, we realized that the funding side of that was uh, going to be at minimum seven days and many times 30 days. And so that's that's where we focused a lot of our efforts around the blockchain is, is really making that a much more efficient, flexible vehicle for us and other mortgage companies, because we, we think that's a, a benefit to the entire industry. So what does a 24 hour close look like? Is this an experience where there, there has to be an appraisal waiver? Like what, what has to happen to have a 24 hour close? Yeah, that's, that's one of the fascinating things about the system that we built. And then Alan is really the guru behind effectively what we do versus having kind of a uh, Henry Ford assembly line process, which is the way it is at most mortgage companies. Our focus was dividing the loan up into all these discrete tasks. And then Alan built a system that actually understands the relationships between those different tasks very deeply. And then we put artificial intelligence on top of that. And we we nicknamed her Nell because, you know, it was a, a character from a, a book that both Alan and I love quite, quite a bit. And the idea there was give her a goal. And her goal is to close a loan as fast as possible. So the truth of the first 24-hour loan we did is that we didn't know. It just happened. And that's because she doesn't really follow the rules other than compliance and regulation, right? So she knows those very, very well and actually checks those in real time all the time. So it's not like compliance is at the end of the process thing. She's doing it every second. It's more figuring out that, oh, this task came in a little bit early. Now I can put this other task uh, into the queue and, and make it happen. And that level of optimization is very difficult to do across one loan, much less thousands. And so you asked, what does it look like? Well, there's a video on YouTube that is actually now closing a loan in 24 hours. And it's a pretty fascinating visual view into how she thinks. She basically takes all the data and the customer uploads what she needs. Uh, and then you see her in real time figuring out what to do next and then assigning that to either people or machines, and then figuring out and predicting, okay, what's the next task that I could do now that those are, are finished? And uh, it, it just, it blows my mind every time I see it, is this visual representation of an AI coupled with a breakdown of the loan tasks in, in a way that nobody else has done before. So that's how you do a 24-hour loan. That's really fascinating. So, but from like a, a borrower perspective, you still have to talk about like a, 
a 15 day closing window for like the scenarios where there is a, an underwriting exception and, and you don't, and you don't have a, or you have a longer timeline on, on valuation. Right. Or, or is there a path to being able to say like, we always close loans in one day? Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, right? You mentioned PIWs or property inspection waivers, and, and it's really key uh, that that was a, a part of the 24-hour loan. That makes a big difference. There's lots of other things. And that's what we realized when we built the system. Everybody else had built a system for the perfect loan and the perfect process. Well, guess what? That doesn't exist. Every loan has some issue that comes up. And that's why we built a system that's flexible and adaptable in real time to that those situations and optimizes for closing quickly. To your point, what we say in our marketing materials and on the website is, you know, 15 days or less guaranteed, actually. And the reason we do that uh, is the funding side. So the funding side, even if we're working with one of the fastest in the industry, which is Fannie Mae, it's seven days. And and that's that's moving really fast for them. Everybody else is at almost 30 days. And so you're in this situation where a truly funded loan uh, is going to take you another 15 to 30 days on the on the back end. And we can do it on a warehouse line and there's ways to work through that. And, and obviously we've, we've done that and worked with a lot of customers uh, and, and you know, uh, bank partners like Silvergate and Bankprov and, and, and Chase and others. However, nothing competes with the speed of the blockchain. And that's where the idea for, for Behome, which is our, our blockchain product came from, is the ability for the chain to fund a loan in minutes. So no warehouse line, you know, it, the automated specifications is basically, you know, because I'm, you know, this is obviously an educated crowd on this process, desktop underwriter. Think about desktop underwriter that Fannie uses to evaluate their loans, but now think of it attached to a funding source. And that funding source moves at light speed. And, and so now you don't even need warehouse lines. You're literally funding loans directly and in real time automatically. So is this a path where you need your funding sources, whether that is Bank Prov or Fannie Mae, interested in being on the other side of that blockchain and participating in, in this process? Or like, what, what is the, how does the funding source change in a world where the loan is originated and then closed via the blockchain? Yeah. So for us, we don't expose any of that to the consumer. We think that's a big mistake. The average consumer really doesn't want to know about the blockchain. Uh, and, and some of them are relatively suspicious of, of whether it is a positive thing or, or not. So that doesn't ex- get exposed to our customers at all. They get to a point in the process where we show them options and they can lock a loan based on those options. Some of those options are from the blockchain. Some of those options are from Fannie and some of those options are from our other partners. And then we go through a process of working with the customer to establish, which is going to be the the best outcome for them. An example of where the blockchain is very competitive on that front is a new product we have called a smart lock. And so a smart lock is basically HELOC without all the bad stuff. So it's a fixed rate loan. It's also a loan where you can draw it down and pay it back as much and as often as you like with no penalties. And that's a big benefit to, to consumers, but not a product anybody else is offering at all, right? Even even some of the, the bigger houses. And so the back end piece of that is that the funding source is basically this diverse, both geographically and economically group of people who see the value in a buying a, a coin that's backed by mortgages that they get a return on that is about 30 times what they get if they put the money in a savings account. And, but it's based on the same product the bank uses to generate that interest on their side. And so 
it's a it's a great deal for customers. One and two, it means our funding source is not one person; it's hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And some of them have fifteen hundred dollars in the system, and some of them have millions of dollars in the system. And that's a that's a very different world than we are today, where there's a very a small group of institution buying loans, and they're mostly U.S. based. So is this our bridge to talking about the Bacon Protocol? Sure, <laughs> we uh, we you know. <laughs> so, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm guessing educating consumers that they're going to submit a loan app with you, and then it's going to go through the Bacon Protocol is not going to be like the the front and center messaging on the website, right? No, not at all. And and in fact, we originate <laughs> a very small amount of our loans to to the Bacon Protocol, and uh, one because it's just getting going, and and two because our job is to serve our customers, and and if that means they don't want to have anything to do with the blockchain. Okay. Uh, we haven't heard that yet because the pricing and the speed is a, a big advantage. Uh, and they really, we hide all that complexity from them. So let me give you an example on, on the Bacon Protocol side of things. Even though that loan is funded from the blockchain, uh, the money comes in regular cash to your bank account. And when you make your payment, you just go to the app or come to us and you make your payment in regular traditional dollars. There, there's no difference at all between what you do today and um, what you would do with, with us on a blockchain loan. We only have, uh, oddly enough, one customer who actually pays their mortgage in crypto, uh, which is great. And, and we love and we think we're going to have more of those. But our approach is a hybrid. right? our approach is serve our customers wherever they are. And part of that is understanding that many of them don't want to even know what's going on on the blockchain and others of course are whole hog like i want to pay my loan in blockchain i in crypto and and i want to have everything on chain which you know we're not there yet but one day we will be so in order for the the crypto side of the business to to grow do you or the the ecosystem need to attract more attention to the bacon protocol and the the stable coin that that backs this system yeah, absolutely. So one of our big goals is is raising what they call t- TVL or total value locked. And that was a difficult task uh, a year ago. Now everybody is kind of pivoting toward us. It's, it's funny. I think what's one of the things that we forget in mortgage is what a key component of the economic system mortgages are. There's $13 trillion worth of mortgages out there. The U.S. government holds $3 trillion of mortgages on their balance sheet. And Wells Fargo holds $275 billion. And so they are very coveted assets in in that world. And there's a reason. They're collateralized loans and they return a guaranteed return that what we call is durable, meaning it happens over years. Go to the blockchain and we had this interesting time period where you could get crazy interest rates, 20, 30, 40%. And everybody got really excited. But nobody asked a really simple question. How long? How long do I get that return? And everybody assumed that they would get it for, well, like I get normal interest rate returns, years. And then they found out it was months. And then even worse, they found out that what was backing those stable coins that they were buying and thinking they were going to get a good return on were assets that they didn't know about. They didn't know whether or not there was really money in the bank. They didn't really know whether or not Terra was backed by, who knows, right? Algorithms and, and you know Bitcoin and other stuff. Or in the case of Tether, they won't tell you. At least with USDC, you know it's in a bank account, but the problem there is it's in basically one bank account. And so the idea 
that we had is like, well, gosh, if we could marry these two worlds, the power and safety of the mortgage industry that has been the building block for the economic system that we enjoy today to the blockchain, couldn't we solve a lot of those problems? And sure enough, now people are waking up and starting to come our direction saying, well, what we need is a scalable coin, meaning the assets can can grow quickly, which we know we can originate millions, you know, trillions of dollars in mortgages um, every year. So that's that's good. It's durable, meaning it's long term and it's collateralized and it's off chain. Right. It's in, in the sense that it isn't determined by algorithms or anything else or kind of the reward system that these other coins have. And beyond that, the interesting thing is that um, it's one of those things where it's decentralized. So this is kind of a big thing in, in DeFi, right? Decentralized finances. You know, today, a lot of that power and backing behind these stable coins is centralized at one bank or one company. Whereas you know, we've opened up our platform so that any originator can participate, any servicer can participate. And this week we're launching uh, the ability for any loan officer or broker to participate in that ecosystem. That's a distributed, you know, decentralized system. So your asset generation and your collection of payments is distributed across the country, both on both ends, the making the asset, which is originating the mortgages, and in some ways, more importantly, the payments. So the payments are flowing in from all over the country. So if anything happens in one particular area, then you're still getting payments from another area, at least for, for a time period with the other area coming back online. And on top of that, uh, there's a world where those payments are flowing just across the blockchain, right? So there's actually no banks in between in, in the long run, which we think is the, the, the huge advantages. And so, yeah, those two worlds are coming together mostly out of necessity. My dad used to say, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, th- that's what's that's happened. It just happened that we were inventing this years ago and, and nobody really wanted it or had a, had a need for it. Or they didn't think they needed it. Uh, they do now. So, so at time of co-founding, were you thinking about a, a future where there's going to be a blockchain enabled mortgage and loan snap was going to be at the, the center of that? Or was it more of a traditional fintech play and you later uncovered this opportunity to go into to crypto with the business? I'd say we, we started it thinking just about mortgage and we thought there's a big opportunity to transform the economics of mortgage. And, and we've done that. You know, we're about two times more profitable on a per loan basis on anybody else who, who's out there. Uh, our loan officers are using a product that, that they don't have to learn how the technical details and all the numbers work. The system does all that work for them. Uh, one of our best top loan officers, in fact, his, his last job was a minor league baseball pitcher. Like, so he's a great salesperson, but he doesn't understand mortgage because the system does that. And that that's the great thing. Like you can take all the numbers and the calculations and spreadsheets and you can put them into a system that figures that out faster than a human could and gives the customer more options because it it's, can look at infinite options versus the very few a human can. That system has already originated billions of dollars of loans. And so that, that's a great win in saving our customers lots of money. We saved them 80 million last year, as I, as I mentioned. But about three years ago, we realized we had a problem and it was twofold. One, as fast as we could be and close a loan in 24 hours, our takeout partners couldn't buy those loans fast enough. And there was a lot of cost in that. The other uh, was really that the people we were selling the loans to, Wells Fargo, Fannie Mae, you, know, you name it, 
they were making almost eight times what we were making on a per lot basis. So we're making, we're doing all the work, so to speak. They take the loan and, and they get the money. And as an entrepreneur in looking at business models, that is not a business model that you want to be a part of. So Alan and I had this long conversation over the holidays about a distributed balance sheet. How could we build a balance sheet that we didn't have, that wasn't like a bank where it is held within our four walls, but instead it's distributed around the world and uh, accessible by anybody so that we could take someone who's in a country where they're making you know, negative interest on, on their savings and, and allow them to invest in something that was positive interest and backed by a U.S. home. And then we found DeFi and decentralized finance and realized, oh my gosh, this is being built. And so our option there was either to rebuild it ourselves and own it. And there's, there's been attempts at doing that kind of building an end-to-end -end blockchain for doing this. Our approach was to participate in the ecosystem that was already being created. And there's a couple trillion dollars inside of DeFi today, or roughly, right? And it's growing very, very quickly. And um, we decided to participate in that community and leverage that community versus go at it on our own. So I think it's it comes across pretty clearly how a loan is originated uh, through through Loan Snap and and uh, processed through the the banking protocol. I think it is intuitive to me how, pr from a servicing perspective, how principal and interest works through through the blockchain. Going a step further into into servicing, so if a loan is held in the decentralized balance sheet, how are you taking into account like escrows? Like, are you doing are you doing tax and insurance? Like, what what other like considerations come into play for a loan that is that sits either like permanently or temporarily in this distributed balance sheet? Well, and that's where the, the servicer comes in, right? And so they they have to do all the same jobs they did before, right? Okay. Uh, but they have to also be able to move the funds in a way that is distributed on the blockchain. So the good thing about the blockchain is it's a ledger and everybody knows the story about how it works. It's really good at what we're asking it to do, which is, hey, here's some money distributed out amongst all the people who have a percentage uh, piece of the, of the pool of mortgages. Escrow and all those other things are still going to be, for now, um, real world things that real world companies have to do. The good news is there will be multiple servicers on the platform competing with each other for, for your business. Uh, today, we do a lot of that, um, but in the future, we expect to have lots of originators, lots of loan officers, independent loan officers. We expect to have lots of independent originators and, and even banks on the system is, is the goal because that way uh, consumers have more choice and have an ability to say, you know, I, I don't really like this servicer. I'm going to move to, to this other servicer. And it's a button click, not not a total disaster, which is what it is. Consumer choice for servicing that that'll be powerful. So, so today are there subservicers that are technically working for loan snap on the servicing side or, or you sell, like, is there a traditional like MSR value that you could sell off at some point? Like how, how does that come into play? Yeah, we, we, we could. And, and, you know, that's another great example. And you know, we used to sell these loans, you know, servicing release. Right. And so in, in many ways, um, we were giving up everything, including the relationship with the customer. And, and one of the things that pushed us toward this solution was hearing the horror stories about how they were treated. Now, here you go. You get this fast loan. It's closed in 15 days. 
And then you get a paper bill from somebody that you don't know that says you need to pay by check. Hey, I, I, I spent my career in this industry. And the first time my servicing got transferred, I was like quite confused by this uh, this new email in my inbox. Yeah. And, and I think that's the world we're trying to move away from. So we service all of these ourselves, all the loans that are on the Bacon Protocol. And part of that is so we can learn the ins and outs of what people need and, and want. Part of it is because... Part of the process when you go through LoanSnap is we save you a bunch of money, but also means we know a lot about you. And with your permission, we are able to, in the future, give you alerts and updates and things like that. So as an example of that, uh, today, if you have a loan and let's say rates come back down again, hopefully, uh, then uh, I'll refinance that loan. Let's call it a 30 to 45 day time period, 45 days when, when things get really busy like they did last year. That's a horrible experience for a consumer. Right. And on the blockchain with the NFT that wraps the, the, the lien, you can basically get a message from the app that says, hey, somebody's willing to offer you four and a half percent on this loan versus five percent. It'll save you X dollars per month. Click here to accept. And that's it. All the data is already there. All the systems are all set up and everything like that. And the decision has already been made. And so that saves customers time, money and honestly stress. And, and so th- there's a system that, that we really believe in as far as directionally correct for consumers. And that's what we're trying to build is, is that ability for, for people to even compete more broadly. So if you really want to like, you know, kind of bend your brain around this stuff, you have an NFT that wraps the lean. The lean is the core thing that everybody cares about. That's what they lend against. There's a world where you might be able to pick up your NFT and you know, pay off the loan and then take that lien and go to Aave or Compound or one of these other lending protocols that isn't even in mortgage and lend against that, that, that lien. Even more interesting, we think, is the ability to take a lien out on your house and just get B-Home back. So B-Home, because it's backed by a pool of mortgages, let's say you take a $50,000 lien out on your house. You could translate that into B-Home and then you've diversified your investment in your house by holding B home because it's distributed across the country and you've list literally one transaction, um, just come to the site and, and do it. So we think there's, a, I know there's a million I could go through of, of options and opportunities. Those are just a few of the advantages of, of, of and, what we're building. B home could also be sold for USD or, or Bitcoin and essentially act as a super efficient and fast cash out refi. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And that, and that's, that, that's where the value of B home being stable right, is, is important. And, and we back that coin dollar for dollar with liens on homes. Um, and that, I think, gets really interesting because then you're taking out a lending loan against B-Home. Well, B-Home is distributed across this pool. So now you're not actually asking somebody to lend against one house in one county. You're asking somebody to lend against lots of houses in lots of different counties. And, you know, as we all know, spreading your risk out and diversity is, is a key investment uh, strategy. So when blockchain and NFTs kind of started buzzing around the housing world four or five years ago, the conversation was primarily focused on the impact on the on the title sector and like the ability to be able to to track ownership was the was the concept that was like super digestible for for folks that weren't um you know d- digitally native or crypto first or like pl- playing in this world of of early adopter innovation and that. That, that kind of fell to the wayside. It hasn't been talked about as much recently. H- how do you see 
alone originated via the bacon protocol through loan snap, having a, a, a different future, different need in terms of title, or, or are we starting to kind of mix up concepts here? No, I, I, I think that's a really insightful way to look at it. Cause the, the next thing we're seeing now are NFTs wrapped around whole homes and, and trying to sell those, except they're not really wrapped around the home. They're wrapped around an LLC that owns the home. I heard a great example of why that's not going to work from somebody who, who built a, a system to do that. Well, what if one of the people who is an investor in the LLC lives in the house and the other LLC investors want to sell the house? There's a little bit of a difference in, in uh, you know, what your goals are in that situation. So I think the title thing got really popular, uh, obviously, and, and we think it's a fascinating way to do things. We'd love to see title be on the chain. But our goal in designing our system was we wanted to have the smallest piece of the real world attached to what's going on in the blockchain. And the reason we focused on that is because there's a lot of complexity in even title. And we just didn't feel comfortable that we could move title to the chain fast enough in order to allow these transactions to, to happen. So we focused on the lien, which is something that's recorded at the county. It's public information anyway. There's no debate about you know what what it says or how it says it. You just take that and you you put it put it on in the NFT and put it on the chain. And we're going to let this other stuff evolve as it's going to evolve because I, I really think. We're a lot further out on title, obviously, than people thought originally. And I think all these other services, I, I would love to see appraisals on chain. I would love to see somebody was talking the other day about all the financial information needed to do a mortgage on chain. Well, that's great until somebody looks at that and defrauds the person or steals their identity or, or whatever. And then everybody says, oh, we're going to do private chains. Well, the problem with private chains is they're private. And so if you want the maximum amount of potential buyers of that loan or bidders on that loan, it's going to have to be public. And, and that's that's why we warranted our, our stuff in that direction. Stayed away from title, stayed away from you know partial house sales or wrapping NFTs around whole pieces of real estate. Because it's really at the end of the day, the lien is the mechanism by which the loan happens. And we think that's the, the, the key element of this. I really like the approach you're taking of kind of thinking about the technology and blockchain as the kind of the the back end of, of how the sausage is made, where I think a lot of uh, fintech conversations around blockchain and crypto mortgages are moderately consumer facing in a, in a way that like might be more confusing than necessary. And and never in mortgage has a lender talked about to the consumer, to the borrower, how great their warehouse relationships are, or how great their POS integrates with their LOS that flows through to, to their underwriting system. Like it's not the language that like consumers like need to know or, or should know. Was it a conscious decision uh, that you and your team made of like, Hey, we're not going to like go out and like try to shout from the rooftops. Like if you want a crypto mortgage, c- come to loan snap. Like it's more of something that happens on the, the back end that enables the business model. Yeah. Um, well, you just got to go to goloansnap.com to see how much we promote <laughs> crypto and, and blockchain loans. It's not even there. Right. And that was very um, intentional. And a, a lot of it is driven from that idea. You know, when you take an Uber or a Lyft, and you get in the car, you don't care about how the engine works or how many cylinders it has. You know, I'm a car guy, so I care about that stuff, but, but the average consumer does not. And I think Steve Jobs did a really good job of building a company dedicated to that in, in Apple. And I'm a, I used to work at Apple, so I'm a big fan of that approach. Like, no consumer cares how 
thousands of thongs got in their pocket. They just cared that they did, right? <laughs> and I think our consumers are the same way. They don't care about the blockchain. They don't care about crypto. They don't care about Ethereum versus you know, whatever other chain, Solana and all that stuff. What they care about is, is it safe? And does it help me get a loan more quickly so that I can go back to taking care of my kids and doing my job and having money in my pocket that I didn't have before? And, and if, if we could solve those without having to educate them about the blockchain, awesome. And they, we think it's a long time before consumers really care about the underlying impact of this. So it's a very intentional decision. And, and we've done that through the whole process. We, we don't, and in fact, we, probably to our detriment, we didn't explain a lot of how the AI works. And so people are like, oh, it's just a regular mortgage. It doesn't look anything like a regular mortgage on the back end. You know, there's, there's no, um, you know, Henry Ford, pass it from here, you know, person to this person, the checkers checking the checkers. Uh, there is a machine that actually does all the task management and assignment, which which is funny because it actually annoys humans sometimes to have tasks removed from their queue and other ones added. But, um, you know, that's because we want to hide that from from the consumer. And it, and it allows a really symbiotic relationship between the company and the consumer, which is this idea that if the consumer moves faster, we'll move faster. And we actually see things like how fast they upload documents, how quickly they respond to things. And if you're one of those customers, you're the one who's going to get your loan closed in 24 hours because we can rely on you uh, versus the person who's like, well, I'm going to take five days off and yep. not not upload any documents or not respond to anything. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go print off my bank statements and look at them for a few days and scan them again and send them to you. None of, none of that. So, so Exactly. <laughs> sideways and then put my kids home. With just the team. odd pages, though. We'll have to come back and ask you for the even pages. <laughs> right, right. So, Carl, have you had... Uh, this is pretty recent uh, news, but had you seen the announcement that Fairway and, and Home.com made about their new NFT initiative? I've not seen that. No, it, it, it's, it's like I think it's kind of hot, hot off the press, but it's um, as I understand it, they're working to give their borrowers uh, an NFT, which is more of a, an image or like likeness of the home, but does not denote ownership and doesn't transfer with the home and isn't tied to the mortgage. And I think it's, it kind of seems like the messaging is more of like to introduce, you know, the average homeowner, like what an NFT is and, and a little more of a momentum memento than like an actual, like part of the transaction. Uh, I mean, kind of hearing that 10,000 foot view, does that kind of feel more like a, a distraction to like the, the impact blockchain and NFTs can have in housing? Or do you kind of feel like that's a, you know, a like rising tides opportunity of more people talking about, um, this type of asset? You know, I, I I think it's fascinating, everybody, that, that how quickly NFTs have taken off and captured the imagination of, of consumers well beyond what crypto ever did. And this is just an example of that. I think we have to be careful, right? There, there's a great story about the first person, one of the first people who got an NFT for their Uniswap swap position. And, you know, they thought, oh, great, I've got an NFT. It's just like other NFTs and I can sell it. And they sold it. So they sold it for like $1,800 and it was an $80,000 position on Uniswap, right? Or some, something like that. So we got to be careful when we do things like this to, to explain to people, particularly the person buying that NFT, that you're not getting the house, you're getting a picture of the house. And we've tried to be really explicit in what we've done uh, when we show them on the website and expose them on the blockchain. And we say, here's, here's a pixelated version of the house. 
here's the lien on the house, here's the value of the house, and here's here's the address, which is what's already on the lien and filed at the county and public. And it's very clear, right, that if you buy that NFT, then you're buying the lien and the value of the lien is explicit and everything like that. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a distraction. I think it could cause confusion. Uh, rising tides, you know, all boat lifts all boats. But I think part of this is we have to be cognizant that there's also people building products where NFTs wrap LLCs that own homes. And what does that mean? And is that a positive thing or is that going to cause even more confusion around homeownership? And has never been tested in the courts, which is is the kind of our litmus test is where has this been tested in the courts? And of course, liens, that's why we chose liens. They've been tested in the courts quite quite significantly. Yeah, I'm sensing an opportunity for for a lot of industry and, and consumer confusion as we as you know talk about fractionalized home ownership and, and NFTs and the, the lien on a singular house held on a an NFT and then images of houses, which are essentially kind of like you know, like the realtor giving you a picture of your house after closing and saying, congratulations, it's not really ownership of anything. I, I am I am concerned about kind of consumer confusion out there. I mean, that's something that can be cleared up quickly, but it's um, it's such a valuable financial technology and tool um, that the art world and like in like the collectibles world has done such a good job at bringing attention to. I, I hope that there's a, a, a path to understanding that an NFT is not an NFT is not an NFT. Like there's like distinctly different purposes and functions of this, like, re- you know, relatively basic concept of ownership. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's fascinating. I think they've done a really good job as you pointed out in the, in the art world, although there's still confusion there. There's a great panel at a, at a conference I was at recently. And one person was arguing about the proliferation of NFTs. And the other person commented on the fact that, yeah, but that's not on Ethereum. That's on another chain. And what does that mean? What does that mean to have a piece of artwork on another blockchain versus Ethereum or Solana or whatever? And does it change the amount of value it has? And what if people leave that blockchain? Or what if two people sell the same painting on different blockchains? Or it's the same person sells to two people on two different blockchains. It's like, which is the original? non-fungible is non-fungible, meaning there's supposed to only be one of them. But in fact, the proliferation of chains means that there isn't, could, could be more than one of them and they could have different, radically different values depending on, on where they're located, so to speak. That's like different, that's like five different paintings or five uh, paintings in different galleries. And they each have a different value because of where the gallery is located. <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to have one painting that goes to the different galleries and eventually sell it. Do you sense that that could be a concern in the in the housing and real estate world? Like, I know there, there's multiple players working on some version of like a, a a blockchain based housing transaction. Is that moving in the the same direction, or like, are we gonna do we have like concerns about for this really to come to fruition in a, in a really meaningful way? There needs to be more orchestration about working toward a singular chain. Well. One of the advantages is multiple chains, right? And and we're, we're seeing it on Ethereum over the weekend. You know, one of the big to-dos was the fact that Ethereum was brought to its knees by the Ape, Other World, Other Land sale. Uh, and that wasn't a great consumer experience. So everybody's like, oh, we should do these other chains or we should do L2s. And I don't want to get into all the details of that. I, I, I think the great thing about all this innovation is we're all trying different ways to solve 
problem. And from that will come hopefully the best solution for consumers as long as we protect them in the process and we don't overburden them with a lot of data. I don't want to have to know that my home is held you know, by somebody on the Solana blockchain. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's not a positive customer experience. I do think that we need to focus on simplicity and making sure that if we move things to the chain, there's a valid reason for doing that in a legally and compliant way to, to do it. And that's, we chose liens. You know, other people have chosen other things. But as you mentioned, title was something that came and kind of went, right? It, it's still not on chain and probably isn't going to be on chain for quite a while. The other home ownership and splitting homes and, and sharing revenue and all that stuff, all that sounds great. Until you talk to a consumer who says, well, I own the house. What do you mean I have to sell the house and give you 10% of it later on? Those are, and that's never been tested in court. What are you going to do when the homeowner says, too bad? I'm not going to pay that. No. So I, I, I think there's a big uh, responsibility in our industry to make sure that we don't overpromise and underdeliver. And that we protect consumers from the under the sausage making, as you as you said. And when it comes to NFTs, that we recognize that these very powerful uh, social memeable moments that happen uh, are critical to our industry as far as being able to spread the right message, which isn't isn't an, it isn't ape land or other world or DeFi central or whatever. It, it is real world, real houses, real people. And, um, you know, we need to honor that and leverage the technology in a way that is a net positive versus what could go the other direction. The Internet was a fantastic innovation and it unlocked a tremendous amount of value. It also unlocked a lot of stuff that wasn't so great and scams and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we worked through that, but it took us quite a quite a long time. And I think the industries that rushed in. And said, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to sell houses on the Internet. And it's going to be great. And then the first person to do it ends up with nothing or a deed that isn't actually a deed or whatever it might be. Those are cautionary tales. Uh, so I'm a big proponent of all this stuff. And, and obviously, we're a big driver behind a lot of this stuff. But at the same time, uh, I think we're a little bit circumspect about how we introduce this to consumers and, and how we communicate the value of this stuff to them. I think one thing is certain we're moving toward a more digital future in housing. Um, and uh, it's really cool, Carl, to, to hear about the the progress and exploration that you and the Lone Snap team are making as you work toward this digital future. Thank you. It's been great to be here and we can't wait to see you on the blockchain. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.